0: My name is Keith Beavers and I guess every year I think, man, maybe this will be the year that science finally figures out yawns. I yawn, you yawn, why, how does that work? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode six of Vine Pair's Wine One Hundred One podcast. My name is Keith Beers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair, and so how you doing? So, what is this thing about, like the price of a wine and the quality of a wine and the the relationship between the two things? It's a it's kind of an like an ongoing situation with consumers that we had to talk about. This episode of Wine 101 is brought to you by Barefoot Wine, still America's most loved brand. Barefoot believes exploring wine should be fun. They make over 40 award-winning sparkling and still wines, so it's easy to find what you like. You want a rosé or pink moscato? You want a pinot grigio or a pinot noir? You want a bubbly? You want still? You see where I'm going with this. So to check out Barefoot and other wines we talk about on Wine 101, follow the link in the episode description to barrelroom.com. So I guess this is a big one, right? You know, there's a, there's a wine shop, you figured that out. There's a wine list, you figured that out. Easy, you can pick a wine from a list. You listen to Wine 101, you're good. But then you're like, but wait a second, what is it about the price of these wines? Like, what is it about quality to price ratios and all this stuff? Like, what is it about a bottle of wine that fetches this price? Or what is it about a, a bottle of wine that's not as expensive as that and why? Oh my gosh, it's all kind of crazy. And you know what, wine lovers? It is crazy. The pricing of wine is pretty nuts. So I don't, and the thing is like, I'm not an economist. Math is definitely the Darth Vader to Luke Skywalker or the uh, Sarlacc pit to my Boba Fett if you're nasty. I'm not going to be crunching any numbers here on this episode. But what I am going to do instead is talk about the factors that go into pricing a wine. And then we'll talk about grapes and vineyards and how prices rise and fall. And there's so many different factors to this. So it's a little bit dizzying, but let's kind of focus a little bit and kind of break it down so we can digest it. And actually, this is one of the most frequent questions I have received over my career in wine, especially because I was in you know, the wine hospitality world and the wine retail world. And Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson puts it pretty well in the Oxford wine companion saying that consumers want to know the extent to which retail price prices reflect quality. So essentially does the price of a wine reflect the quality of the wine inside the bottle? The answer is yes and no. How about that for an answer? Wine is complicated. It always will be. It always has been. And for us on the American market, wine comes from all over the world. Every, I mean, every country, every region has its own economy. And the, the, that, that is a major part of what goes into pricing a bottle of wine. There are other outlying factors, but if you think about a restaurant and a chef and a, and a, and a kitchen – that chef has to create a dish. And every piece of, every ingredient that goes into that dish has a cost. And the way it's supposed to happen is the cost of that dish is the sum of all the parts that make up that dish and then some other fees that go into it, rent, (laughs) labor, that help price out the dish. This is very similar to what happens in wine. When you're looking at a bottle of wine, Whether it's a $15 bottle of wine or a $115 bottle of wine, there is a long list of factors that go into pricing that bottle. This is very dizzying. Bear with me. It's crazy. Of course, the first thing that has to be factored in is the price of the grapes. And as you can imagine, this is a big world (laughs) and there's always, like I said, different economies in different places with different reputations and different varieties are more labor intensive than other varieties and it also depends on where those varieties are. If you're doing Cabernet Sauvignon in Napa, they're gonna be expensive. If you're you're doing Pinot Noir in, well, basically anywhere, they're gonna be expensive. Let's say if you're doing Cabernet Sauvignon in a place like Uruguay, which hasn't really made it onto the American market completely, then maybe that Cabernet Sauvignon will not be as expensive. But then you go to the other factor, which is labor costs. And that also depends on where you're, where the wine is being made. Labor costs in certain areas are much lower than other areas. For example, there are countries and economies like Chile and Argentina, um, and actually South Africa, that have low production costs. This will help bring the price of the wine down, especially when it's translated into other currencies for importers to import into their countries like the United States. And of course, you have places like Champagne, which even though the land is expensive, the labor is intensive as well. And that adds to the price. I mean, a lot of things add to the price of Champagne, but this is an example of how labor intensive a place can be and those costs are higher compared to other places. So the price of grapes, the price of labor, but then again, you have the price of the actual vineyard itself, that land. Is it the land that's owned by the winery? And if it's not, these are contracted vineyards that they buy grapes from. How much is that contract, which also factors into the land or into the bottle price? But let's say the winery does own the vineyard and does own the winery. Well, that winery, I can promise you, has debt. So, that also factors in the price of a wine. And also, depending on that, whether you're contracting from a vineyard or have a vineyard on your property, there is going to be a transport cost of getting the grapes from the vineyard to the winery. After it arrives in the winery, there's more of that production cost that factors in. But then also, there's the label how did the label get designed? Then, who designed it? How much did that cost? And then, we got to get that label onto these bottles. Oh yeah, the bottles. We have to buy the bottles. So there's transport costs, there's bottling costs, there's labeling costs. Then there is the winery itself, whether it's contracting from vineyards or having their own vineyards or not, they need to have a marketing strategy to get the wine out there because my gosh, is this a competitive market? And that competitive market is what producers and wine merchants look at consistently. So a producer pricing out their wine All those factors I just said were involved, but also the winemaker or the producer has often a pricing policy that they want to stick with so they can keep things consistent. Now, once that is established, that wine gets to, with that policy, gets to a wine merchant, which then has to go and market that out to the rest of the country. And that wine merchant has their own costs that they put on the bottle. And a wine merchant could have domestic wine, but if the wine merchant has European wine is a three-tier system that needs to happen to get to a wine shelf and there are costs and duties and taxations for all of that as well. So I think it might be a little bit obvious to us that when a wine is expensive, it's because it either comes from a place that has a legacy or a reputation and of course you know, supply and demand is, is real in the wine world as it is anywhere else. And often those wines are celebrated because the quality of the wines in that region are pretty amazing. So you're spending money on a wine like Champagne or Burgundy or Bordeaux, and you're pretty much guaranteed a quality wine. Dep- whether you're it's your preference or not is a whole different story, but the quality is going to be there, generally, primarily, and mostly. But sometimes when wines are inexpensive... It's easy to think, well, obviously, if they're inexpensive, they don't have the quality of, let's say, a champagne or a Bordeaux or a Burgundy. That's not, that's not true. The thing is, we were talking about how it's a big world out there. Well, there are places that make great wine that we don't see on the American market or haven't or just have a little bit of it because of political and economic factors from those regions. Greece, Hungary, Romania... Bulgaria, Slovenia, Croatia, Georgia, these are countries that make wine or have been making wine for a long, long time, obviously, but we don't see these wines on the American market. Why? Well, because of, like I said, political and economic issues. Sometimes wine production is stopped, sometimes wine production is paused, but sometimes wine production is ramped up, like in communist Russia, where it was not about the wineries, it was about making as much as possible for the people, and then when, that, when communism fell, there was a surplus of grapes, so of course the price of the wine is going to drop at that point. And then countries like Bulgaria, Romania, and Hungary, which have amazing wine, then reacclimate themselves and they bring wine over to our market. And often, after the surplus is over and we start seeing the more focused stuff, sometimes, even though the price goes up in production, they'll keep the price low to get a foothold in our market, which is a big deal. Or that's a big thing that South Africa did back in the early 2000s. And at some point, we all start to celebrate the wines from the area. For example, Georgia being a big one right now, everyone's into Georgian wine, which has been around for millennia, but now we're finally able to enjoy these wines. And when they first came over, they were not really that expensive and they weren't very well known. But as they've gained in popularity, the price has gone up because we're seeking them out. Supply and demand is happening. So the quality hasn't really changed, just the price. On the other end of the spectrum, a, a wine or winery or producer or wine in general like within a trend or something that's gaining in popularity will often price high to announce their prestige right away. So you're, there's no easing into the wine. The wine is expensive the minute it hits the market and you're marketed to saying you should buy this because it's awesome. For example, the Cult Cabs of the 90s in California they came out of the gate expensive. Now I understand Napa vineyard land, which I'm talking about in a second, is is expensive, but it's not it wasn't expensive then as it is now. And these cult cabs like Screaming Eagle came out of the gate expensive because what they were saying was this is Napa, this is this is Cabernet Sauvignon, it defines our region. This is age-worthy stuff. You need to buy it at a high price because as you age it, it gets better or you can even invest in the wine and resell it down the road at an even higher price. That's another way wines are priced. And that actually factors into the investment of wine, which has a whole other list of criteria for, for buying and pricing wine. The precise wine itself with the reputation has to be attractive. The era or the time in which the wine was made also has to have some sort of um, prestige to it. The rarity of the wine, if it not a lot of it was made, then where was it made? What's the provenance of the wine? What's the actual condition of the bottle that you're bidding on for investment? And then what's the global state of the market? Because once you buy that wine or a lot of wines, you're going to watch those wines accrue in value. So where it's a very complicated thing but this also factors in the price of a wine. This also factors into the reputation of a wine so that the wine can be actually priced up on the retail market. And all of this kind of factors back into grapes and in vineyards because because the reality is, even though there are plenty of wineries out there with estates that have vineyards on their land and they control the entire production from growing the vines to making the wine, The majority of the wine grapes on the planet are bought and sold as is or as fresh grapes that will then be produced individually at a winery that did not grow those grapes. Whether it's a producer that has vineyards within contracts for certain varieties, whether it's a commercial winery or whether it's co-ops in Europe. And the prices of these grapes fluctuate, fluctuate, rise, and fall like any other fruit crop or any other crop. This is agriculture. But with that added layer of wine, which is crazy because you buy grapes, but you really won't know the quality of these grapes until you make it into the wine. But because of popularity of certain varieties, sometimes the price of grapes can be bolstered across an entire market. And that gets a little bit stressy because people that have enough money to buy the grapes get the advantage over people that don't have enough money to buy the grapes. And that factors into the price of the wine. And t- speaking of that, the grape itself factors into the price as well. In 2004, when Sideways came out, Pinot Noir was already an expensive variety, but then that shot up tremendously, meteorically, after 2004 when the movie came out. Napa has been focusing on Cabernet Sauvignon well, at least since the 1940s, so that is an ongoing fashion in this area. It's also, you know, it does a very well in the area. It's not like it's just fashion. It actually does well, but there are other varieties that do well in this area, like Zinfandel, that I'm sure would be a little bit less expensive than Cabernet Sauvignon, and talk about focusing in on this in Europe. Well, well I don't know about other places, I know that Bordeaux and Champagne, they both have price regulatory boards that actually decide prices as the market fluctuates. And all this is not to mention the actual land the vines grow in. Oh, man. In the most popular places in the world that make wine, Napa, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, places like this... It's very, very expensive to get land to plant vines and make a living. But these places, the regions, even the vineyards and the origins of these vineyards and the origins of the place and its wine culture have a major effect on the wine quality. They've been proving for a long time that the quality is possible there, which will attract the market. But it's not always guaranteed that a place that is known for quality with every, with all those factors of order, like the origin and all that quality wine is not always guaranteed. The history of wine is a pretty big roller coaster, and some of the most prestigious areas of the world that we know now were hit or missing quality back in the day. Chianti being one of the most famous. And we'll talk about all that in an upcoming episode, but Burgundy as well and champagne and Bordeaux. But as these places improved, the quality improved, they maintained the reputation, and now they can fetch the high prices in vineyards and grapes and wines. But here's the thing. In other places in the world where grapes and vineyards and land are less expensive, that by no means states that the quality is lower. There is impeccable quality coming out of places that are not that expensive, And that's great for us because we get to try great wine that's not too expensive because a a place is trying to gain a foothold on our market. But also, it can help the winemakers and the wine region and its reputation in general. It allows, those low costs allow the winemaker to experiment a little bit more. I mean, Napa didn't become Napa overnight. It It was years and years of experimentation trying to find the varieties that worked for Napa. Cabernet Sauvignon came out on top. But it took a long time and the costs were quite low back in the day compared to now, forget about it. And speaking of land value, check these stats. In the mid-2000s, to buy vineyard space or a vineyard in the general Bordeaux appellation was about 200, 250,000 euros per hectare. A hectare was a little over three acres. At that same time, some of the properties that, are most, that were most celebrated, some of the most sought-after properties, were went for $1.5 to $3 million a hectare. That is in the mid-2000s. Can you imagine what it's like now? Especially like in Burgundy, where for a grown crew, you could pay up to 9.5 million euro per hectare. I mean, these are small plots of land, but <laughs> wow. But depending on location in Burgundy, if you're just a part of the, the AOC, just the Burgon, the general AOC you could get as little as 30,000 per hectare. And this is crazy. This really, remember we talk about how marketing is a big deal? Champagne might be the most marketed wine in the world. It's also considered some of the most expensive wine in the world, but the land caps out at 1.8 million euro per hectare. So it's less than both Burgundy and Bordeaux, yet the wine prices are very high. Piedmont, another very famous wine region, is about $1.2 million per hectare. And of course, we can't leave Napa out, which is like a little over 130,000 to well over half a million, like to 600 plus thousand a hectare. So you're going to spend when getting wines from that area. And the ones you spend a lot on are probably going to be great quality. Again, it may not be your preference. It may not be your style. The wine may not be made in the way you wanted it to be made. But for the people that do dig that wine, that price is that price. And they'll pay it. But just because places have low land values like places in Chile, places in Argentina like Mendoza, South Africa, and places in Australia and around the world like Uruguay, just because the land values are low, and just because the grape prices are low, does not mean the quality is low. There are so many factors that go into the price of a wine, and it's your job—if <laughs> that's not your job, you can do whatever you want—but it's art its well, if if you're a wine lover, you're, you go out there and you you buy wine. You experience wine. If you're going to spend a lot of money on wine, you're going to look into it a little bit. When you're buying a TV, you're not just going to go and go, "Hey, give me a TV that works." You're going to look into TVs and you're going to find the one that works for you. If you have a certain preference in wine, you want to spend a lot of money, you're you know you're going to do your research. When it comes to wines that are everyday wines, it just comes down to trying the wines. You know, just because a wine comes from, let's say the uh, Colchagua Valley in Chile, and the wine is fifteen dollars. Or $20 and it says it's, a, it's like a high end cab that doesn't mean the wine's not good, it just means there's a lot of factors involved in making that wine that allows the wine to be that price on our market. Okay so I'm rambling on too much, I didn't want to do a lot of math here so I wanted to give you guys a lot of different factors on how this is actually done so that when you have a bottle of wine you kind of know how it got to your table and into your glass. What are you guys doing next week? Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout-out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating vine pair and i mean big shout out to danielle Grinberg, the art director of vine pair for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast also darby seaside for the theme song listen to this and i want to thank the entire vine pair staff for helping me learn something new every day see you next week e and j gallo winery is excited to sponsor this episode of vine pairs wine 101 gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from every day to luxury and sparkling wines i mean gallo also makes award-winning spirits but you know this is a wine podcast so whether you're new to wine or an aficionado gallo welcomes you to wine we look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter cheers visit barrelroom.com today to find your next favorite where shipping is available